When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. You know me, my name is Mac, and I want to welcome you into a brand new episode. Um, I'm super excited about this one today because for the first time ever, I am doing sort of a mashup thing with another podcaster. Um, She is the host of Misadventures with the Narcissist, another podcast. So if you're listening to this from her podcast, um, if you're one of her fans, welcome into my show. Um, And I'd like for my fans to check her out as well. Um, she's super, super cool, super well-spoken, super intelligent, and I really think you guys are going to love this episode. Um, before we get into it, though, I do want to thank my friend Mike for last week's episode. Um, the verdict is in, Mike, and most of the listeners believe that your ex is a narcissist. Um, at very minimum, she has narcissistic tendencies. Uh, but I appreciate you telling your story. Um, so much stuff that we can all relate to. I had one guy reach out to me on Instagram and said, you told his story exactly. So, um... Thank you so much for doing that episode, and and thank you for being my very first in-person episode, which was so cool. Um, Before we get into this next one, too, you know I'm going to plug my normal stuff, so please follow me on Instagram at dimming underscore the underscore gaslight. Um, Please follow me on TikTok if you'd like to be a part of the show. You can email me at dimmingthegaslight at gmail.com, and please remember to give it five stars on Spotify, five stars on Apple Podcasts. Please rate, review, subscribe. Uh, and, uh, yeah, let's keep getting the word out there. Um, so yeah, this next episode is really, really cool. You guys are going to love this and, uh, I'm really floored by her story. So I hope you like it. Uh, enjoy. All right, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of dimming the gaslight. I am here with my new friend, RG. RG, say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) So uh, this is really cool. For the first time ever, um, I'm doing a mashup with another person who has a podcast regarding narcissistic abuse. Uh, RG has her own podcast. It's called Misadventures with the Narcissist, and it's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, every single uh, platform that is available. So she reached out to me and I thought, what a cool idea for two podcasters to get together and share their stories. So um, RG, I'm really glad that you're here. Welcome to the show. And uh, I'm really excited for the listeners to hear your story. Yeah, thanks so much. I was really excited to discover your podcast um, because I just thought, wow, another person who's doing a podcast and I'm always interested in hearing about other people's experiences with narcissistic abuse and kind of seeing the commonalities between some of the experiences that I've had and then some of the experiences that you've had Mm -hmm. and then just being like oh wow yeah I can totally relate to that so it's always fun to listen to other people um and their podcasts it's amazing. I, I feel so blessed to have found this community. And, 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 you know, for the last couple of weeks, I've been telling people like, I don't understand, like, I, don't, I can't envision 
what my healing would look like without having discovered this community and doing this podcast and getting to meet people like you. I feel so blessed. Yeah, I totally agree because in my day-to-day life, it just feels like unless you've gone through narcissistic abuse, no one else can really relate. And I remember just talking to my friends and being like, oh, you know, he said this or he said that. And they'd be like, what's the big deal? Just get over it, you know? (laughs) And it wasn't until I found this community as well and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos that I was like, oh my God, somebody who actually understands and knows exactly what I'm talking about. And they're not thinking that I'm crazy or overreacting or right. all of the other things that friends tend to accuse you of. So no, yeah. you're not, you're not crazy. You're not crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and and it took, it took, you know, this community to make me understand, like, I'm not crazy. We've all been through it. And it's like, we're lucky because we have a podcast and we could be like, oh shit, I just thought of something. Let me get on there and tell everybody. <laughs> oh, totally. Yes. I've done that where I wasn't planning on recording an episode and then something happened yeah. with my narcissistic ex-husband. And I was like, oh my God, I have to talk about that. So I would just get on and record and it was sort of like a, a mini therapy session. So totally, totally. <laughs> um, I've, it's, I've, it's been awesome. I've named my podcast a lot of that. So, all right, well, let's get into it. Tell us about your story and uh, tell us about meeting the narcissist and uh, let's do it. Yeah, sure. So my story goes back to 2002. Um, so the narcissist has been in my life for 20 years now, which is just crazy. I, I feel like I just cannot believe that this is my life now. And I, we were living in New York city at the time and we were both working at the same place and we kind of just started, you know, hanging out and and then we started dating and I did not know anything about narcissistic abuse back then. I just thought, you know, if someone is abusive, you can spot it, you know, they're going to either hit you or be physical or put you in danger in some way. And if it was going to be verbal or emotional abuse, then it was going to be obvious to spot, you know, so so it would be things like he would say that I'm stupid or, you know, or tell me, I don't know, just be verbally abusive, which those were the things that I was looking out for. And that's what I thought abuse was. I didn't know about emotional abuse or red flags at all. So I think that is kind of what maybe a lot of people think or find themselves in. Um, I just thought I could spot it. I thought if it's abuse, I can definitely spot it mm-hmm. and it'll be easy for me to know that it's abuse. So uh, there were, there was none of that with my, with my ex, you know, he was very um, kind to other people. He was well-liked. He was um, gregarious and funny, and he had all of the characteristics of a narcissist that, other people really, really liked. And the Mm -hmm. reason that I got together with him was because he was very outgoing and it just felt like he was bringing out the side of me that I couldn't bring out myself because I was super shy, you know, very introverted, Mm -hmm. totally the opposite of him. And um, he was the opposite, you know, and I was like, this guy is exactly who I need to be with and he's gonna make me come alive. And, um, you know, we can do all the fun things. And at first it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of like fun experiences. We'd hang out all the time. We worked together. So I would see him at work. Um, And it was just, I don't know. It was just this awesome experience that I was like, wow, this is really cool. Like this is what I've been missing. And at the time I was in my 
uh, my mid twenties. So, you know, I had had a few relationships before and I was like, this guy is better than any of the other guys that I was dating before. So in my mind, there was like nothing wrong with the relationship. And then the red flags kind of started to come in, but I just didn't know there were red flags. I thought there were maybe like, I was doing something wrong or he was just maybe misunderstanding what mm-hmm. I was doing or my intention. And I ignored a lot of these red flags and some of these red flags, just to give you guys an idea of what they were. um, It was things like he would come home late, but then tell me, oh, I was hanging out with, you know, with a cast member. So the other thing that I wanted to mention was that he was an actor and a director in New York. And I'm not saying by any means that people that are actors or directors are narcissists because not all of them are, but it just happened that, he was. And the reason I mentioned his profession is because he used to hang around with a lot of women. Like it was, Mm. there was in the theater profession, most of the people are women. And he always had all of these women friends that right now, looking back at it, it was definitely a red flag. Not the fact that he had female friends, but the fact that he would talk about them all the time. He would hang out with them all the time. I was hardly ever invited to any of the things that he would um, he would go do with his female friends. And mm-hmm. whenever I would bring it up. So I started thinking, well, this is a little weird. Like he's so excited <laughs> about all of these, these lady friends that he has. And I started to, I guess, get a little jealous or feel like something's weird here, you know, because he would take the subway and then get out of the subway at their stop to walk them home, you know, instead of like, coming home by this time we had moved in together um but and so instead of coming home he would go get off the subway with them and then walk them home and then come home a half an hour later and I'd be like that's weird like a friend or a boss or a co-worker doesn't walk somebody else home right <laughs> like that's the and job what, of- what did he say about that Um, so he would be like, you're just jealous. Um, you're overreacting, you're insecure. Mm -hmm. You are thinking things that are not there. Um, I am committed to you and I have no interest in these other girls, except, you know, that they're work related. Cause a lot of them were people that were in his shows or people that he was acting with. So he would always just be like, I really love my friends. Um, They're awesome. I love working with them. When you're an actor, you get really close with people really fast. And Mm -hmm. you just have to get used to that you married or not married. Um, You decided to be in a relationship with someone who's an actor and a director and who is in that world. So if you want to be with me, you're going to have to be okay with me having relationships with other women. So let me ask you a question. So when he would do this uh, gaslighting to you, clearly, when he would do this gaslighting to you and say, no, you're the one I want and stuff, did he then in turn go to love bombing and kind of showing you that you're the one that I want? Um, Yes, so he would. So he, when he was at home with me, he was very present and always like planning stuff for us to do and planning experiences and trips and all of that. Um, So he wasn't like crazy into like going overboard with showing me, but he would plan stuff for us to do Mm -hmm. in order to show me that he was interested in, in the relationship and that um, 
I I was still part of, you know, part of his life. But I think the thing that was a, a red flag that I didn't know was a red flag is that I never felt like I was number one. So I think it's interesting with narcissists because when you're going through the love bombing stage, you feel like they don't have another life. You know, you feel like you're there, everything and their focus is all on you. And I never really felt that. I always felt like his career was number one. And then I was number two. So, and he trained me to think that from the beginning, because he was just like, well, that's the career I chose. If you chose me, then you're going to have to be okay with that. So anytime I would say something that bothered me, he'd be like, well, you chose this, you know, if you don't like that, then don't be with me. I totally relate to that. My ex did that to me all the time. And, and I and always say on these podcasts, certain things, the guests say always jog my memory of things. And um, there's a recording that I did um, when I was recording my ex and creating my evidence towards the end of a relationship. And uh, I talked about it on the episode of my best friend, Mo. I don't know if you heard that episode, but there's a recording that I did <clears throat> when I recorded a conversation between my ex and I. And I said, you never pick me. And I was crying. And I said, you never pick me. I'm always dead last. And I will die here trying to get you to pay attention to me. And I swear to God, it was she really didn't have any friends, but it was her family. Or it was just the people in her town. I kid you not. She would talk so well about the mailman, her dentist, everybody but me. I was the biggest piece of shit on earth, but the dentist was a saint and might as well have a, you know, stained glass window in the church because he was awesome. And I was the piece of shit. Wow. Yeah, that's, I can totally relate to that. And it's so unfortunate. And I think that kind of behavior makes, makes it okay. You know, because the more it happens, the more, or at least with me, I would tune in to myself and be like, okay, what am I doing wrong? What can I do to improve or to not make him feel that way? Or, yeah. you know, maybe the yeah, how can I keep giving so that you'll yeah, be exactly. like, Oh, you're the good one, right? Yes. Like, Oh, I want to get on the same level as your fucking dentist that you see every six months. Totally. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, you always feel like you have to work towards gaining their approval, you yep. know, but then there, he would be like, it's well, exhausting. I, yeah, it's so exhausting, but then he'd be like, well, I chose you and I'm not choosing them. So just chill out. But like, you don't choose me on the daily. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You only choose yeah. me when you want something. Totally. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, and I've heard that from a lot of people as well. Um, who had been in narcissistic um, relationships and it just makes you like I felt like I, I was always either trying to please him trying to change myself so that he's not upset or that he would choose me or I don't know I was I was never I could never just relax in the relationship and I think yeah I think that was a huge red flag that I didn't know was a red flag and throughout my relationship with him, there are all of these red flags that I just did not know were red flags. And I think part of why I started my podcast was to help other people who are like, am I in a relationship with a narcissist? Am I not? So I'm like, let me tell you about all of the red flags um, in every part of my life. So that, that way, you know, that it's not in your head, you know, that you're not crazy. And maybe this is a red flag for you as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, like if anything, 
I want to validate you because when you're in that relationship, I can completely relate. You think you're the only person on the face of the planet who's ever experienced this. And you're like, I know something's wrong with this person, but I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I can't put my finger on it. Um, and, and if, you know, this is so cheesy, but that is my mission is to dim the gaslight for you because you're not crazy. You're not insane. You were abused and, and let's relate together. You know, let's do this together. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess what I want to talk about were some of like the major red flags that mm-hmm. I, again, did not know were red flags, but yeah, go for it. Um, one of the, one of the major red flags was when he proposed to me. So that is like narcissists are really well known for destroying special occasions, right? Like they are like, yeah, they're like, something is special. Let me just take you down. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so he had told me that he wanted to propose, um, which I thought was okay. Maybe like, I would like a surprise, but you take your ring shopping or anything. No, did not take me ring shopping. He was just like, I'm going to propose to you, um, but I want to do it in a really romantic setting and I want to do it really nice. Like he was basically like telling me what he was going to do with the proposal. And I was like, oh, that sounds awesome. So he planned a trip for us to Europe. We were going to go to like London and Amsterdam and Prague and um, France and a bunch of other places. And I decided to, or maybe we decided together, I can't remember, but my sister and her boyfriend at the time came on this trip because it was always my sister and I's dream to like do a trip together with our boyfriends through Europe, right? Okay, I'm like, Yeah, I'm like, we both have boyfriends. Uh, We're like secure in our relationships now. Like if any time would be perfect, now is the time. So Archie, real quick, how, how far into the relationship was this when he thought about proposing? Um, this was three years into the relationship. Okay, so that's it a was decent not, amount of time. Yeah, yeah. Like it was not soon. And we had been living together maybe for like a year at that time. So he didn't rush into anything, which okay. um, looking back, I know a lot of them do, but he didn't. Okay, um, cool. So we went on this trip. It was maybe like a three week trip or something like that. And he was just not proposing, right? And I was like, okay, this is weird. But then during our trip, he not only ruined the trip, but he ruined the proposal because every single day he would complain about my sister and her boyfriend being there. So he'd be like, oh, they're so annoying. You know, I just want time with you. And um, they're ruining my proposal was what he would say (laughs) uh, because they're always there. And I'm like, okay, but you can find the time when they're not there. And we weren't there 24 seven, you know? Um, so what an asshole to sit there and be like, you're ruining my proposal. Why are you telling her you're proposing, bro? You're ruining, you're ruining it yourself. Totally. Yes. Yes. And then to make it feel like it was my sister's fault because she was always there on this trip with us. And it was because of her that he couldn't propose. So again, now I think that's where the triangulation started. And I didn't know it was triangulation, but he would always just complain about my sister. You know, she's annoying. She's this, she's too that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would just feel like I was stuck in the middle of trying to please him and then have fun with my sister. But then I'm like, what side do I choose? So it was such a stressful trip that I was like, "Uh, this is not the trip of my dreams with my sister. You know, (laughs) this is not what I thought I was signing up for. Or my future husband that's supposed to be proposing to me and he's bitching about it. Yeah, totally. It was, it was just so, so stressful. Um, and then it got to the point where my sister could feel the tension and she was like, you know, guys, I think maybe 
um, me and my boyfriend should split off and we'll go to France and why don't you guys go to Poland? Um, and that way we'll all have some time because I think he told her that he wanted to propose and whatever. So we ended up splitting up from my sister and her boyfriend. They went to France. We ended up going to Poland. And a few days into Poland, we ended up going to a concentration camp. Mm, um, which how romantic. Was, <laughs> so Yeah, so romantic. But it was like we went, we spent the whole day at a concentration camp in Poland and we came back and like, I was so sad and crying, you know, and I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> like I this see is, where this is going. I'm sorry for laughing. Yeah. I think you can tell where this is going, but it was just like, I was just so distraught by what I saw at that concentration camp. And we were kind of in our hotel room <laughs> um, and I was just trying to make sense of everything that we just saw. And out of nowhere, he turns to me, he goes, hey, you want to get married? <laughs> and, I, and I was like, um, oh I was like, okay. That is the <laughs> worst. That is the worst engagement story yeah. I've ever heard. It was Holy fuck. I mean, we were like in our pajamas. Oh my God. Like at 7 p.m. exhausted, like physically and mentally and emotionally from, for the, you know, from the day. Um, and I was just like, I don't know what to say. You know, <laughs> I'm like, I guess he proposed. So then I asked him, I'm like, are you proposing? Like, is this your proposal? <laughs> and he was like, yes, I'm proposing. Do you want to get married? And I was just like, I, I guess, right? Like, yeah, let's get married. Oh, but then really, <laughs> it, it was just so sad because I was so upset and sad from the concentration. Yeah. But then I'm supposed to be happy because now he's proposing, but he had no ring. Like there was no ring. And Do then, you think in the history of time, anybody else has ever got engaged outside of a concentration camp? I don't think so. <laughs> Unbelievable. I don't think so. Yeah. God, I love these stories on this podcast. Yeah. Man. Holy <laughs> shit. That was yeah. funny. That's one of the funniest stories I've ever heard. I know it's just so crazy and looking back at it I was like well I was happy that he was proposing you know and I was like finally you see the humor in it right um totally yes I mean I don't mean to laugh at your pain but fuck that's funny yeah no I see it now and I tell that story if somebody else told you that story you'd be laughing too Totally. Yes. And it's like, I know it's not funny because there's a concentration camp involved, right? but it was just such a typical behavior from a narcissist, you know, that I was like, how can we ruin this moment? Um, more, you know, more than anything else. And then he had this thing where anytime we would go through like a milestone or something would happen, he would want to call his mom. Um, and instead of like celebrating with me or focusing or dealing with the situation with me, he would just always call his mom and talk to her for hours. And I would just be sitting there like, okay, do I interrupt them? Do I tell them to stop? Because I'm the one who needs, kind of needs the attention right now. (laughs) You know, like this is not about his mom. This is about me and him. Um, So he was just like, yeah, I want to get married. I said, yes. And then he was on the phone with his mom for hours telling her all about our trip and everything. Um, And then we just went to bed. So he had no ring. um, And it turns out that part of what he was talking to his mom about was that she was going to give him a ring that he was going to propose to me with, but she just didn't have it in time before our trip because they lived in another state. Um, 
and all of that. So he got off the phone with his mom. He was like, this is so exciting. My mom is going to give us her, her aunt's ring. And, um, and that's going to be your ring. Didn't even ask me if I would be okay with that. Right. Didn't even like ask me if I wanted my own ring. So again, it was like, here, yeah, here you go. You're going to get this ring from my mom. And then I found out that this ring from his mom was from his mom's aunt who was married twice. And she had combined like both of the diamonds into this one ring. Um, So already I was like, this is just weird. Like, I don't want somebody's ring. That's been divorced twice. Divorced twice. And now has combined both of those rings and all that energy that comes with this ring. Like, this is not (laughs) what I imagined my proposal or my marriage would be like. But then he was like, this is so exciting. My mom loves you so much that she is willing to give up her ring. So in my Hold on, hold on. So he was, he was an actor though. And he, I mean, you know, no offense to anybody. I'm sure he didn't make an exorbitant amount of money, but he had a job. Why couldn't he get a ring himself? Um, he couldn't afford it. So he, yeah, he did not make very much money. Um, and I think for him, even like a thousand dollars for a ring was too much. Like he just could not afford it, but I'm not going to judge. Yeah. And the thing is that I, like, I was at a stage in my life where it's like, I just didn't care about material things. So I was like, I just want him, you know, like, I don't care about the ring. That's how you should be. Yeah. So good for you. Yeah. So to me, like I wanted my own ring, but he spun it in such a way that I should be grateful that his mom is willing to give me a family heirloom um, in order to, you know, to get married. So that should be up to you. That should be your opinion. Yeah, totally. And and it was not, you know, it was like, this is the ring we're getting. (laughs) Um, So I was okay with that. And I think looking back, I'm just realizing that all of these things were him kind of training me into what to expect and what my standards should be. And I think like, I totally right. You're totally right. Yeah. And, and looking back, I'm like, you know, I have, I had no boundaries. I had no, um, I don't know. I, I was just such a people pleaser that I was willing to just be really flexible and to be like, Hey, this is how this proposal is going to go. That's fine. You know? So I would just, and I think that's part of codependency as well. Looking back where I'm like, whatever he wants, I'll just go along with it and I'm fine and I'm flexible. And I literally had no boundaries and I didn't know, I didn't even know about boundaries at that time. Um, but looking back, I'm like, gosh, this was some of the early red flags that if I knew now, I would know not to be with this guy and not to say yes to him because of those red flags. And I share that story because it was one of the times where he totally ruined the entire moment. And that that pattern happened throughout our marriage. It was like my birthday would come up. He would get into a fight. Mm-hmm. And then he would do other things like it was Mother's Day once and he decided to take all of us bowling. And, you know, my kids were really young at the time. We ended up having three kids, but they were super young and they got into a fight at the bowling alley. And one of his favorite things to do was to just end things and get up and leave. Um, So, you know, my kids were acting out at the bowling alley. And he was just like, guys, we're leaving. I'm not taking this and we're leaving right now. So he will literally get up 
and start walking out. And the kids are like, no, dad, no, no, come on. Like, so, you know, I'm sorry, let's stay. Um, and he would just get in the car, wait for the kids to get back in. I would have to like sit with the kids and be like, okay, we have to go. Um, Cause I, you know, again, I just didn't want to get into a fight with him in public and That's be so like, sad. yeah. And he would do this all the time. Like his favorite thing was to go on vacation and then we would go on vacation and we would, let's say all go out to a restaurant and anytime one of the kids would cry or again act up he would be like i'm not doing this right now we're leaving and he would get up in the middle of the restaurant and uh -huh. leave and the kids there were so many situations like he's gotten off buses he's left restaurants he left like part birthday parties and events and he would just be like i'm leaving i'm done i'm leaving and you need to learn how to behave so oh that's really I, sad yeah it's so sad and i know we jumped from like how he was treating me to how he would treat the kids. Um, but it, it was just some of the, like by this time I was like, something is definitely wrong. Like this is not how a parent should be acting, you know, <laughs> like they're two years old or three or whatever. They're not going to understand that they need to be quiet. So you stay in the restaurant, you know, you just have to like adjust, but, um, so that stuff happened all the time. And I want to talk about a few, other red flags where it was like, you know, he would never take time off of work. Like his work was so important to him. And as I said, it was his number one priority that that always came first. Like if the kids were sick, he wouldn't take time off of work. If I was sick, he wouldn't take time off. If, you know, I needed something, he would just work and work and he would work like on my birthday, on our anniversary. But then he would do things like, oh, I, you know, I took my brother to a concert. He would take time off of work to take his brother to a concert, um, but not to, you know, to come home early and celebrate our anniversary. And it was just things like this that just made me feel like, why am I last? Why am I not important? Why yeah. am I, you know, always just getting an angry person? <laughs> um, and I want to say like the first, maybe we were married for 12 years. The first six years um, were not, he was not angry. He was just, he would do these things like the proposal after the concentration camp, or um, we would go on vacation and he would always plan a vacation where he had a friend or family member so that he can go spend time with the friend or family member too on our vacation. And at first I was like, okay, I guess that's our vacation, but he never sees his friend. So I'm okay with it. You know? So he would like leave for the whole day. Um, and then he'd be like, oh, we made plans to hang out again the next day. <laughs> and I'd be like, but this is our, our vacation. Like we're only here for five days. Like, and we came on vacation together, mm -hmm. like, you know, and we even like for our honeymoon, we ended up going cross country and we saw so many of his friends, <laughs> like we stopped in Chicago where his brother lived. Then we stopped in Portland where, um, you know, another friend lived then another friend. And then my sister lived in LA and I wanted to stop over in LA. And he's like, I'm not stopping in LA. You know, I hate LA. So I'm like, why are we stopping everywhere where you have friends, but mm -hmm. I want to stop somewhere where I have a friend and we can't do that, you know, or then sometimes he would give in and he'd be like, okay, fine, we'll stop. But then he would make it miserable the whole time we were there. 
And then I'm sure that he would guilt trip you for being like, oh, we've got to do everything you want to do because you want to stop in L.A. So, oh, it's all about you. I can't tell you how many times I heard Mac does for Mac. Oh, mm. that makes my fucking skin crawl. Mac mm-hmm. does for Mac. I heard that all the time. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. It was <laughs> it was insane. And anytime like I had a need or a want, he would make me feel like. I was asking the world of him, you know, mm-hmm. like, how dare I mm-hmm. ask to see my sister for lunch, but we can go stay for three days with his friend in Portland, you know, and that was okay. Um, but not, you know, not my, my lunchtime with my sister. And right. it was, these were just some of the red flags that I was like, this is weird. Like, this is not, why is this so, why is there so much tension all the time? And if I don't go along with what he wants, then there's tension. And I think part of my personality, and it probably goes way back to like childhood trauma and all of that, um, goes back to like wanting to avoid tension and people pleasing that, again, I would just do everything in my power to avoid this tension. So I would start anticipating his needs and not even ask for things, you know? Mm. Um, and it's called walking on eggshells. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. And I'd be like, oh gosh, I really, you know, I really want to go to dinner right now, but he'd rather go see a show. So we're going to go see his show and then we can go to dinner another day. You know, that works better for him. And part of what, um, what I, uh, Again, sorry, I'm going to go back to saying like, again, I did not know these were red flags. I just always thought I was doing something wrong. Well, you, and you I, thought it was going to work and, and you're like, yeah. oh, well, I thought I'm doing what you want. And then there's still an argument anyway. Totally. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I think the the other major thing was that um, I think a lot of people, especially when they're married, deal with financial stuff. And mm-hmm. one of the things that was a really weird dynamic for us was that because he was an actor, he didn't make a lot of money, you know, and he ended up not working for a long time. Like he would work for like a month or two and then be off of work for like six months, you know, mm-hmm. and when he would work, he would only make like $100 a week or, mm-hmm. you know, like $1,000 a month or whatever. So he never made enough money to support us. So I always had to be the one um, with the financial stability and financial security. So I ended up starting my own business because, you know, I was like, I don't want to work for someone else. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, I'm like, I don't want to work for someone else. Like I want to raise my kids and be home. So I launched this online business that um, ended up doing really well. So I supported us the whole 12 years that we were married. Wow. Like, good for you. Cool. Yeah. Um, I, I was just making the money and I remember him, you know, at the beginning of our relationship where I should have known this was a red flag, but I didn't, um, where he was like, you know, well, as an actor, I'm probably not going to make any money until I'm in my forties or fifties. And just so you know, I'm going to need to work for free a lot and intern and be an assistant to other directors and meet people. And then it's probably going to take me 20 to 30 years to work on my career. So just so you know, (laughs) that's what you're getting into. And this was after he proposed, right? (laughs) Um, so I just, so you know, get another job. Exactly. Yeah. And you have kids, and, you have a family, you have, I know, you have a family yeah. to support. Yeah. So get a he, second job. You have a yeah. hobby. If mm-hmm. you can't, if you can't monetize your hobby, yeah. then get another job. Yeah. And I mean, I have, I told him that a few times I was like, well, you know, this is not, 
what I thought, you know, I'm like, I thought we would share into our responsibilities. Like we could both take care of the kids and we can both bring in money. And um, he ended up doing a lot of the stay at home parent duties because he was off of work for like, you know, six months or a year at a time. So by, by default, he would kind of just um, be in that role, but then he would be really resentful. And he'd be like, it's because of you that I can pursue my career. And I'd be like, but we all we've done is move around the country. And we literally moved 11 times in the 12 years that we were married. And we moved from like, you know, one side of the country to another side and then back to the East Coast and then back, you know, um, and it was always for his work. Um, so like he would get a one year internship, we would move. He would get a fellowship somewhere, we would move. He would um, have a lead somewhere, we would move, right? So I had to be the flexible one. And at first I was like, well, this is awesome because I'm the flexible one and I've built a flexible business where I can work from anywhere. But then that totally enabled him to just go out, you know, and literally work for free. Like he was working for some of these internships, like 70, 80 hours a week for a hundred dollars a week. Um, and I was, you know, we had two kids. I was pregnant with a third one. I was running my business and he was just like, well, this is what I have to do for my career. And if you can get on board with that, I need a wife who's going to be really supportive. Good luck, um, buddy. He, yeah. <laughs> um, and I would just be like, oh God, maybe he's right. Maybe. And then he would say things like, well, well then he's probably trying to make you feel shallow. He's probably yes, trying to make yeah. you feel like a gold digger because, yeah. you know, you're not supporting his dream for a hundred dollars mm-hmm. a month, but how can the hell can he even defend that? Yeah. And I don't know. He always would make me feel so bad for asking something of him that again, I would turn inward and I would be like, gosh, am I the unsupportive wife? <laughs> you know, am no. I like, you know, I know I've moved across the country for him like five times and I know I'm supporting his dream and like uh, he went to grad school right after we got married didn't work like I paid for all of that like I would pay for everything and again looking back I'm like I just cannot believe that I said okay to that like I cannot believe that I was okay with that and this happened all the time and I think what what I learned a lot. So I want to talk about how I discovered that he was a narcissist. All right, real, real quick though. But you, you did, you're saying like, okay, you supported his hobby, right? You're moving around. You accepted his, you know, um, ring that he didn't buy. You've done all these little things and he's still not happy. And you're like, fuck, like I'm giving, I'm giving. Why is it not being received the way a normal person should receive these acts of service or whatever you want to call them. Why is this not working? And you're like, I got to keep giving more. Yes, absolutely. I was like, I'm just not doing enough. Right. Yeah. Like my, yeah. You my, are. Yeah. And I, like looking again, I feel like I have so much hindsight looking back and I'm like, gosh, the person that I was, when I was married, I was so codependent. I was so walking on eggshells. Mm -hmm. I was kind of traumatized and didn't even know that I was being traumatized on a daily basis Mm -hmm. by his actions. And it's like, I could go along with him, like 99.9% of things that he would wanted to do, I would go along with. Mm -hmm. And if dare I say no 
to one thing, he would lose it. He would be like, you're not supportive. This is not, it's so unattractive. His favorite thing to do was to say, it's so unattractive when you do that. It's so unattractive when you're not supportive, you know, Fuck it's so you. unattractive. <laughs> yeah. And I literally- You're making me mad for you right now. Yeah. Thank you. Cause I, I'm getting mad just thinking about it now. And yeah, cause um, I've been there. Yeah. Right. You can relate. Right. Because it's just, it's just never enough. And I think part of what, um, what happened is that I just kept saying yes. Right. Like saying yes to everything, giving more, doing more, being more. There was a point with my business where it's like, we had three little kids. They're like maybe one, three and five. And I was working like crazy, like, you know, doing podcast interviews and videos and you know, writing newsletters and articles and traveling to conferences and doing all of the things that I needed to do in order to keep this business going and support us. And he was still like, you're so lazy. You're not working hard because I wasn't working 70 hours a week. You know, I'm like, I can do my business in 20 hours a week. I don't need to work 50 hours a week. And your boundaries just keep getting crossed and crossed and crossed and crossed. And you're like, I love you. I do love you. But yeah. the fact that like, you're mm-hmm. not getting this, like you're not getting what I'm putting out makes me fucking hate you. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. so go back, tell us about how you discovered that he was a narcissist. So I discovered that he was a narcissist about three years after we got divorced. So I want to back up just for a second, because I was doing so much that I literally burnt out. Like I had adrenal adrenal burnout and chronic fatigue. And it's like one day I was totally fine. And then the next day, my body was just like enough. <laughs> like if you're not going to say no, my body's going to say no for me. And I completely crashed. Like I could not get off my couch. I could not stand up. I could not walk. I literally <laughs> like anytime I would stand up, I would just get so dizzy that I was like, I need to lay down and I need to sit down. And this, this is after you guys separated. How did you guys know this was before? So we oh. We're okay. still married. We were married for about 10 years at this time. And I guess it took me 10 years of giving and giving until I totally crashed. And mm. I was just like, my body was like, you've done enough. You mm-hmm. need to stop no more. Um, and he would get so frustrated. So when somebody gets sick, you would think, okay, they're going to be caring and loving and, you know, be there for you. And he was totally the opposite, which is such a typical narcissist thing to do. Um, But he was like, you know, when are you going to get off the couch? This is taking so long. It's so annoying. You're not fun anymore. You're so lazy. That was his favorite thing. Is like, you're you're so lazy. Shit out of me right now. Oh my God. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then he would be like, you know, let's go to a concert. Let's, let's bring fun back into our lives. I'm like, I can't even stand up. Like, let alone go to a concert until midnight. Like I can't do that. He's like, let's run a 5k. I'm like, I can't even walk down. Let's have a happy marriage. Right. (laughs) Dude. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And he's like, well, and then he pulled out that we just don't have anything in common anymore. And I think we need to get divorced. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, like I cannot move. I cannot work. I can't. And this time my, my business was still bringing in money because I hired someone to run it for me. Um, and I was like, can you get a job? Like, can you get a job? So I don't have this pressure of my business and that I can start healing. He's like, no, I'd rather just sell our house um, and live in a smaller house than, you know, get a job that I hate. So I was like, oh, and he was working part-time at this time. So he was making maybe like 20,000 a year, um, but not in 
enough to, you know, to support us. So he didn't get a job. Um, and then he was just like, I, you're just not fun anymore. I'm sorry. I'm not attracted to you like this. And you're not the person that I married. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, I was like, dude, of course, I'm not the person that you're married. Cause you've exhausted me. I've let you step all over me. Cause I had no boundaries and didn't know. Um, and you're like, totally like, stepped all over me now to the point where it's like my body is like enough and he was like you know uh, he goes he's like I would only stay married to you if I can sleep with other women and I was like no that I'm not okay with that (laughs) you know and he's like well then I'm sorry we're gonna have to get divorced so we ended up trying to work on things and all of that for almost a year and then he was just like no sorry you're not getting better um you're still no fun so we're gonna get divorced so we got divorced um and then I spent all this time trying to like heal and get better and I just kept thinking like what did I do wrong in this marriage like what happened what didn't I do enough of you know why did he walk out when I needed him the most and again knowing about narcissistic abuse it's like that was the discard, right? It's like, I was no longer useful to him. I couldn't do the fun things. I could, I was still bringing in the money, but all of the other stuff that I used to do, I couldn't do anymore. So he was like, you're no longer useful. Goodbye. So I have a question with all the shit that he did to you. Um, did you experience any reactive abuse in terms of like you snapping back at him and like being like, dude, what the fuck? Like anything like that? Yes, absolutely. Like there were times where he would do something just to make me upset um, when I was already so exhausted and I would just lose that. I would be like, dude, like this is not okay. Like, how could you do this? You know, and be like, you're overreacting. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden it was like he switched the focus on what I had an issue with. Um, that he did. And now the whole conversation turned to, well, it's your reaction that's causing the issue. And I'm like, no, I'm reacting this way because of what you did. So that's the focus, not my reaction. And he would be like, no, you're overreacting. And you're such a typical woman. All women do this. I should have known better, you know? And he would say that all the time. My attitude is in direct correlation to how you treat me, Mm -hmm. you know? Totally. Yes. And I would tell him that. And he would be like, no, you're just overreacting and you're just not chill. You know, he's like, you're just so stressed out. And yeah, and you're not chill. And I can't be with somebody like that. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm trying to like assert myself and have boundaries. And every time I would try to put up boundaries, he would be like, bring it on even more, you know, (laughs) to the point where I would be afraid to put up boundaries because of what the consequences would be. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know. It was like such a mind fuck. I get <laughs> um, it. The whole relationship. <laughs> and the way that I discovered about narcissism is that I was, we were three, mar- like three years after the divorce and I was doing the dishes and YouTube was in the background and, um, you know, just like playing videos. And one of the videos that came up on YouTube while I was doing the dishes was this video about like 20 signs to look out for, or like 20, 20 things to you experience when you're in, um, in an abusive relationship with a narcissist. And I was like, okay, I'll watch it. You know, I can only imagine um, why that came up based upon your recommendations. I know. I literally, I think it was like the universe, like, okay, dude, I think now you're ready to handle the truth. <laughs> like, this is what happened in your marriage. And 
I started watching or listening to that video. And it was like, number one, it was like anxiety. I was like, I have anxiety. Number two, um, you know, it was like chronic fatigue. I'm like, I have chronic fatigue. Um, number three, feeling like you're walking on eggshells. I'm like, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. You know, was, number four was like, um, you know, um, feeling like you're doing everything for them. And I don't know, it was like all of these things. The only thing I didn't have out of, that list of 20 was nightmares, right? Like waking up in the middle of the night with nightmares. I did. I'm like, I don't have that. But literally all of the other 19 things, I had every single one of them. And, and I and did you have that like fight or flight thing activated as you're hearing this shit? You're going, oh my God, oh my God. Yes. Like I compare it, I've said on past episodes, it's almost like mm-hmm. my internal coffee pot mm-hmm. starts like percolating and I'm going, oh my God, oh my God. Like this mm-hmm. is it, this is it. Yeah. This, holy mm-hmm. shit, holy shit, holy shit. That that feeling of of realizing it and being like I've been in a narcissistically abusive relationship, um, it felt like the walls were closing in, and I was like my fight or flight was activated, man. Yes. Oh my God, I had the same experience, and it was actually um, it was two fifty five when this video came on, and I had to leave at like three ten to go pick up my kids from school to be there at three fifteen. So this video was playing. And with every, you know, like number one, number two, like I was like, oh my God, I started crying. (laughs) I started bawling. I was like, oh my God, this is my marriage. Like this is what happened in my marriage. Like Mm -hmm. all of it, you know? And by like 310, (laughs) I was like, you know, tears streaming down my face. I was shaking. Like, you know, I had to pause the video. (laughs) Um, And I was like, how am I going to go get my kids from school right now? Like I have five minutes to get my shit together. I couldn't see straight. Yeah, I couldn't, you know? And like, I, it was like one of those shocking moments where it's like, almost like how you get into an accident. It's like, what just happened? Mm. And like, you have that like trauma stuck in your body afterwards. And it's like, oh my God, something's off, but you know, I'm okay. <laughs> like I'm okay, but something just I'm happened. physically to here, but yeah. holy yeah. God, like the yes. world just got enormous. Yes, totally. Yeah. And I like, I, you know, wiped my tears, um, went to pick up, pick up my kids from school, you know, came home. And then ever since then, I was like, you know, I need to learn more about this and make it make sense. Right. So I like started listening to podcasts and reading books and watching more videos and listening to interviews. And I, you know, started working with like a therapist who was informed about narcissistic abuse. And um, it's been that was three years ago. Um, And to a year after that is when I started my podcast, because I was like, I have so much to unpack and so much that I need to share. Um, and I don't want to, you know, keep going to therapy, um, and pay like a hundred bucks an hour each time. Cause I need to get this stuff out. You know, right. like I need to just get out of my body, put it out, out there, hope that it helps other people. Um, and just let people know that they're not crazy because I thought I was crazy. And I thought I wasn't doing enough and, you know, not good enough and all of that. And it's been a journey, you know, I'm still like, I still listen to like, you know, Dr. Romney and a whole bunch of other things. And every video um, that I watch, I'm like, oh my God, that's me, (laughs) you know? And it's like, it explains the reason why, you know, we didn't even talk about this, but like he alienated me from my family and my friends and um, 
why I even I got sick, you know, um, like all of the things that I'm like, my marriage makes so much sense now that I can just like people who haven't gone through this will not understand. So talking to my friends is not helpful. Talking to my family is not helpful. So I need to find a way to get support and get this out. So talking to a therapist that is familiar with this and having my podcast has been so healing for me um, because like no one else gets it. And I think that's the hardest part, you know, like I was talking to my sister the other day and she was like, well, why can't you just tell him, you know, we had an issue with our kids. Um, and my sister's like, why can't you just tell him how you feel? I'm like, you don't understand. Like, you know, (laughs) it's been three years that I've told you about narcissistic abuse. If I tell him how I feel, he'll do even more of that, you know, Mm. (laughs) like he'll do. So I can't tell him how I feel. Mm -hmm. She's like, well, I just don't understand, you know? And I think that's the one thing that I had to be okay with was that other people didn't understand. And this community has given me the space to like feel understood and feel validated. And I think as someone who has gone through narcissistic abuse, it's really important to feel validated. So that is the reason I wanted to share my story today, because there are so many people that are like, I don't know if that's a red flag, but if you think it's a red flag, it's probably a red flag. Um, And you do need that validation um, from from other people. Let me let me ask you this question before we head out. How is co-parenting with him? Um, co-parenting is intense. Um, it is, um, he actually ended up getting a job a year ago. So he, Hey, congratulations. (laughs) I know. So he moved, um, to another state. So he, um, again, abandoned the kids, um, which is very typical of narcissists. Um, and he moved to another state for this job and I haven't, um, it's been a lot better since he's moved, but when he was living, yeah. (laughs) Um, when he was living close to me, um, it was just constant, like ups and downs, you know, my kid, he would leave the kids at home for like, you know, seven, eight hours at the time and, you know, go skiing or, um, I mean, he would take one of the kids, but it's like, if the other didn't want to come, he would just leave them at home. Um, you know, and they were like eight or whatever. Um, or I'd be like, Hey, can you make sure, you know, they do this and he wouldn't, you know, like, um, if they had to take supplements or like one of my kids needed to be gluten-free. And I was like, it's important that he's gluten-free as soon as you go to his house, it'd be like, Oh, it's no big deal. He can have gluten, you know? So it was constantly like fighting and arguing. And, um, it, it's been a nightmare. I would say co-parenting with him was harder than being married to him because now he was using the kids and putting the kids in the middle And he was like abusing the kids now too, you know, like emotionally and, um, and mentally. So how do the kids feel about him? Um, the kids are kind of afraid of him. They kind of just, um, go along with whatever he says and they kind of take it out on me actually. So, um, I feel like, and I think that's something like I was learning that, um, this is something that happens oftentimes because they're, they're like too afraid to be themselves with him because of how strict he is and how, um, you know, now he's like the fun dad, um, because he just, he has them over the summer now. So they're with him, um, now, you know, and he's like, he, he was always a great dad in terms of like doing stuff with them, um, and taking them places and, and all of that. So physically he's been a great dad. 
but like emotionally, he will put my kids down. Um, he's not kind. He's not nice. If one of them, you know, has a need of like, if they're like, you know, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty. He'll just be like, tough it up, you know, or he would, um, just not meet their needs at all, except for having fun. You know, <laughs> he's like great at taking them places and doing stuff, but not so great. on like the emotional um thing so yeah it's been that's still a work in progress but i think it's gotten a lot better since he left yeah it's tough that's tough well listen rg i really appreciate you telling the story we're coming to the end of the hour is there anything uh, you want to leave the listeners with um i just want everybody to know um that this is more common than you think and it's really important to find a community of people who get it um and i also think it's important to kind of um, come back to reality in some ways, because not everybody's like this. Like when I learned about narcissistic abuse, I was just like, oh my God, everyone's like this, (laughs) you know? And I would um, like project onto other people and I would look at couples and be like, which one's the narcissist, you know? (laughs) Um, And I think there's this reality that we're part of when we're in a relationship with, with a narcissist that is not often the real world. And sometimes I tend to lose sight of that. I tend mm-hmm. to just think like everything is like that and everything is a fight and everything's an argument and I can't have boundaries because it'll make things worse. And I think learning how to, um, you know, accept that part of your life, which was being with a narcissist, but then also realizing that not everything is like that. <laughs> um, it's really important to kind of just keep, keep balanced. Yeah. Yeah. I'm absolutely with you. I mean, you, you triggered me a lot of times with your story today, mm-hmm. because a lot of times I had, especially when you were telling the story about, you know, coming to realize that he was a narcissist. I had this, like I said, this, Oh my God, Oh my God, yeah. feeling in my stomach. And I can completely relate to that. So listen, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Um, I really do admire your story. Um, everybody, if you want to check out her podcast, she's mentioned it a couple of times. It's called misadventures with the L- narcissist. Um, really cool podcast. She's got a bunch of episodes on there and, you know, you can learn a lot from, um, what she's got to offer. So again, RG, thank you so much for doing this with today, with us today. Um, and, uh, you know, everybody check her out on Instagram to misadventures with a narcissist. Okay. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah. It's been my pleasure. All right. Well, everybody, thank you for listening and, uh, until next time.